Hallelujah. So Jesus here in John chapter 14, verse 26, is going to begin to teach us a little bit about the Holy Spirit and one of the things that He does. We're back in this verse. It's part two of where we were in, in our last meeting. Jesus says here, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. This verse here tells us a lot about the Holy Spirit. Number one is he, he's a he, not a she. It says he will teach you. But Jesus said that he's your comforter, meaning that he'll, he will never leave you, that he is your comforter. He is the one who will walk beside you. The, the picture there is that, that, that God as the Holy Ghost would come to your life and would walk with you every stride of the way. He would be with you when times are, are, are great, and he would be with you when everybody walks away from you. He would be there to comfort you, to guide you through each and every circumstance of life. But the part that we're keying in on is it says that he will teach you. I want you to know that Jesus is the teacher. Amen. And in his stead, the Holy Ghost came down at Pentecost, and the Holy Ghost, uh, much to the disarray of some, the Holy Ghost is still on the job. The Holy Ghost still works. The Holy Ghost hasn't left yet. He got sent down here at Pentecost, and he's still working down here until Jesus comes back. His commission is to come and to keep the church until Jesus comes back. Now watch this. It says that he will teach you. The Holy Ghost is our teacher. Your job is to be led by him. Your job, as Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. The Holy Ghost is the one that will teach you and guide you through the issues of life. Now, one of the problems that we have in the church is that a lot of people just aren't teachable. What do we mean by that is you can't tell them nothing. Amen. Oh, there's, there's nine different ways to skin a cat. Yes, there is, brother, but there's only one way that God says to do something. God said to do it this way, and it don't matter if you can come up with other ways. What matters is if you'll be teachable unto God and allow Him to instruct you because He may call you to walk the long way home. But there's a reason and a purpose for why He tells you what He tells you. God doesn't stutter, He doesn't stammer, and if He tells you to walk the long way home, guess what? You need to walk the long way home. This is part about being humble, having that humility in our life to where God can speak into our heart and tell us and guide us, and God's looking to see if we are teachable. Now here's something important that you need to know. It doesn't do you much good today if you were teachable 20 years ago. God wants to know if you're teachable today, if God can instruct your heart today, if God can tell you like he told Peter, I know you've been fishing all night long. I know you've toiled all night long. You haven't caught anything, but I'm telling you, go back out there one more time. And Peter said, it don't make sense. That's not the way that we do it. We've already called it a day. I'm tired. I'm hungry. I'm cold. I'm wet. And I want to go home and eat some chili. But Lord, nevertheless, at your word, I will go. 
You see, that is about remaining teachable. That is about remaining sensitive to the voice of God. And it is essential for you and for me to remain humble enough that God can tell you to do something that may not make sense in the natural, that may not make sense. And you may say, I've never done it that way. I heard one minister say that's one of the marks of a dying church. We ain't never done it that way. Well, let's do it God's way. How about that? Amen. So he says, he says here that I will, that the Holy Ghost will teach you. And in order for the Holy Spirit to teach you, you must be teachable. Any person that's ever tried to teach someone else how to change oil, change a tire, drive a standard shift in the car, anybody that's ever tried to teach anybody to do anything understands this, you must be teachable. If you're going to catch it, you're going to have to be willing to be taught it. Amen? Amen. And so it's no different with the things of God. You can, you can sit up there and you can, you know, uh, be indifferent. You can be cold-hearted. You can listen and not learn. But if you'll be teachable, the Bible's telling you, there's a promise here. If you'll be teachable, He will teach you. Well, I don't need to be taught. It shows you that you need to be taught. Because none of us start out where we need to be. Amen? We need to grow in God. We need to grow in holiness. We need to grow in righteousness. We need to grow in godliness. We need to grow in the things of God. We need to grow in our faith. We need to grow in our prayer life. We need to grow in our knowledge of who God is and what He does. And so we have a promise that He will teach us. Amen? So here I want to just on teaching this, on being teachable. Let's go over to Psalm 86. I want to dig down a little bit on this concept. In Psalm 86, and we're going to move down to verse number 10. But in being teachable, there's a, there's a process where you're ever being refined, ever, that you're ever growing, that you're ever being renewed. If you ever get into a place in your spiritual life that you no longer are teachable, then what you're telling God is that you don't need to be renewed. That you, don't need to, that you don't need to be refined. That you don't need to grow. Just the fact that we remain teachable unto God shows that we understand we need to grow. How many of you know in John chapter 15, the mark that God's looking for in your life is not what you know, but what grows in you. He's looking for fruit in you. And He's looking for more fruit today than yesterday. You can't do that on your own. And he's looking for more fruit to come out of you tomorrow than is coming out today. You can't do that on your own. The only thing that you can do is surrender to God and let him do what he does. Abide in Christ and he in you and you will bear much fruit is what Jesus said. And that's what God looks for. God is looking for not that you've memorized this or that you've memorized that. God's not looking to see that you can stand on your head or that you can, you know... Uh, jump pews. God's not looking. For, he's looking for fruit in you. And he's looking for fruit in me. And he's looking over the course of our life to see that fruit is growing in us. Amen. God is looking for fruit. Well, what kind of fruit, pastor? Fruit of the spirit. That's what he looks for. Fruit of the spirit. You can look at that in Galatians chapter five, verse 22 and 23. And notice here, though, in Psalm 86, there's an important thing that the writer of this psalm says. He says in verse number 10, he says, for thou art great and doest wonderful, wondrous things. Thou art God alone. 
Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. One of the things I want you to get out of this, uh, there's a concept, there's a couple of concepts that I want you to get out of this about being teachable. Number one is this. He says, to teach me your way, I will walk in thy truth. Meaning, I'm not going to walk the way that I want to walk. When, when Peter said, nevertheless, Lord, at thy word I will go, he was telling Jesus, you know what, this doesn't make sense to me, but I will do what you tell me to do. You instruct me, and I will do it. You know, there's times in my life that God has asked me, to, or told me, to go and ask someone forgiveness, and I didn't do anything wrong. But I knew in those moments that if I didn't do what God asked me to do, that I wouldn't grow the way God wanted me to grow. It wasn't so much that I did something wrong. It was that God wanted to see if I'd be willing to look like a fool. That I'd be willing to walk that walk. That I'd be willing to take the low road. That I'd be willing to be humble before someone else. That my pride would be taken out of the way. That that God could use you in order to reach someone else. You might say, well, I didn't do anything wrong. And they may say, I didn't do anything wrong. But can God use you to humble you to get to the place where He can reach that other person? And that's when... You begin to see things from God's perspective. It's not always about you being right and you getting the respect you deserve and they did you wrong and they need to call to you. It is about God reaching others through you. When the Spirit of the Lord is upon you, you'll begin to preach, you'll begin to prophesy, you'll begin to call things that are not as though they are. Why? So that God can reach other folks through you. That's what God wants to do. It's not always about you getting what you deserve. It's about God getting what God deserves. Well, I'm going to get mine. They're going to, they're going to do this to me and they're going to do that to me. Uh-uh. That's not the way the kingdom of God operates. It is about God getting what God deserves. And God said that He is not willing that any should perish, but all should come and repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And can God use you to reach others? You know why it's so hard? You know why it's so hard? Because we're always trying to look out for ourselves. We're all about our agenda. Oh, they didn't treat me right. They didn't thank me. They didn't write me a letter. They didn't call me. Ever since I did this, this has gone against me. Let's take ourselves out that equation because last time I checked, we are supposed to remain crucified unto the Lord. Nevertheless, we're supposed to live, yet not I, but Christ in me. And if we live a crucified life, we understand it is not about us. It is about Jesus, and it is about others, and it is about God using you to reach them. That's what God's desire is. Well, they don't respect me. They don't love me. They don't like me. Well, you know what? They didn't love Jesus. They didn't like Jesus. They didn't respect Jesus. And you know what? You're His. And if He got... Look, if He didn't get a crown of roses but a crown of thorns and you're His, and you're in Him, guess what? You should expect the same crown of thorns. You shouldn't expect a bed of roses in a world that crucified the Lord of glory. Why don't they, why don't they treat me right? Why don't they treat me right? Why, they didn't treat Jesus right. What makes you think they're going to treat you right? 
They're not going to. In fact, the more that God's light is in you, the more that the world is going to be against you. But I've got good news for you. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Let them be against you. All they're showing is that they're standing up and defying God. That's between them and the Lord. All I know is I want to be on the Lord's side in the battle. Let them talk. Let them walk away from you. Let them think what they need to think. All I need to know is that I belong to God and He is mine, and He lives in me. So, can you be teachable is the thought. That's the concept. Amen? Amen. People will walk away from you. They're going to talk bad about you. They did that to Jesus. In fact, in John chapter 6, verse 66, all of them walked away. And, and Jesus looked over at Peter and said, you're going to go too. I mean, all the disciples, up to John chapter 6, he, Jesus, every time he went anywhere, he was laying hands on the sick. He was prophesying. I mean, he got a following. Once you begin to multiply bread by the thousands and fish by the thousands, and you heal and you deliver demons, people will follow you. But in John chapter 6, Jesus began to teach some hard truths. And he began to teach them that he was the only way to heaven. And that they had to take his blood and his body unto themselves. And they began to walk away one by one. And they all left him. And even when he was on the cross, they had all left him. Even Peter left him at that point. And we think, we think that we're going to have a Christian life on a bed of roses. When Jesus was given a crown of thorns... Far be it from us to think such concepts. But there is good news. There is good news because God will not leave you and he will not forsake you, but he will help you and he will undergird you and he will strengthen you and he will revive you and he will renew you and he will give you light in the midnight hour and he will be the fourth man in the fire with you and he will calm the mouth of the lion when you're in the lion's den and God will stand for you when the world stands against you. Are you on the Lord's side? That's the thing. And so... David here is talking about how God is, is going to teach us. He says, teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Will you? That's what David said. David said, I will walk in thy truth. And it, it is said of David, even though he fell a couple of times. I mean, I'm glad that I wasn't in that time because I wouldn't want everybody for thousands and thousands of years to be reading about my sins. But David had his sins all out there for us to learn from for thousands of years. But yet it is said of David that he was a man after God's own heart because he repented. Because he desired to be right with God more than to hold on to his wicked ways. Even when he sinned and he fell, he confessed and he got things right with God. He didn't continue in his sin. He stopped and he went back to God. Repentance. I will walk in thy truth. Well, here's something I want you to see. This next part. He says, unite my heart to fear thy name. This is called devotion, guys. Devotion. Devotion is, is so beautiful. It's a concept I want you to get. You see, when he says here, that this is all about being taught. He says, unite my heart to fear thy name. Lord, take this heart and attach it to you. 
Don't let me wander away. Don't let me begin to look on other things the way that I should look upon you. Don't let me look at my job as my source of life. Don't let me look at my, my spouse as my rock. Don't let me look at my bank account as my resource. Don't let me look at any other thing the way that I should look at you. Unite my heart to you. Unite my heart to you, Lord. In other words, this is about devotion. God, keep me in that place where I know that my devotion is you. My devotion is you. Unite my heart to that. What does it mean to be devoted to someone? In order for you to be devoted to someone, what makes it devotion, what makes it true devotion, is that you depart from everything else. Come on. In order for you to be devoted to your spouse, guess how many other people you should be walking away from? All them. All them. Check all the above. In order for you to be dedicated and devoted to your spouse, you have to be willing to say no to each and every other living human being. That's what devotion is. And when it comes to the things of God... And we say, God, unite my heart. I want to stay in this place of devotion to you. I have to come to that place where I say no to everything else that is not God, that is not God's truth for me, that is not what God wants for me, that is not what God desires of me. I have to be willing to choose God above every other thing. I have to choose God above politics. I have to choose God above money. I have to choose God above social standing. I have to choose God above everything else. Unite my heart to you, Lord. I want you, Lord, to be that one for me. Amen? So devotion is, is, is what we're talking about. When it, when it comes to the things of God, he said, I, I want to learn. I want to learn these things. You know, you, you start out in a marriage or you start out in a relationship, you don't immediately have that that undergirding to know that that person will always be there it that comes through experience that comes through experience you learn those things notice i want you to i want you to catch this before we move on there's something i want you to catch when it comes to learning god we're not talking about just learning how to do a new trick that's how you know that's how people teach about god today it's, it's kind of like um, if, if you knew how to tie some knots. Well, I could show you how to do a new one. You've never seen this kind of knot before. Oh, that's cool. Now you, got a new, now you got a new one in your arsenal. That's not how it is with God. It's not about learning something new, putting it in your arsenal, something you never heard before, something you never knew before. It's not about that. It is about eliminating everything else that is not God in your life. It is about eliminating those soul ties to everything else that is not God. It is about remaining teachable that God can show you where you're beginning to love this or love that, where you're beginning to go and drift over here and drift over there. But God can instruct you and tell you to go back out. Go back out and fish again. Go back out in that area again. And you're willing to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I hear you. I understand. Devotion. Devotion is not only... Devotion is not only a decision for one person, it is also a decision to depart other persons. Devotion is not only a decision for one person, 
It is also a decision to depart from all others. So when God's talking to us about devotion, one of the things, that, a constant theme that you want to see is that devotion requires departing. Devotion requires departing all other things. Amen? It requires departing all other things. Let me show you what I'm talking about in Exodus chapter 20. Some of you may remember what happened in Exodus chapter 20, but it's when God gave us the Ten Commandments. We're going to talk about the very first one. Jesus, um, whenever, whenever he wrote with his hand and, and, he, and he wrote in those Ten Commandments, the very first commandment that he gave Israel. What is it? Y'all remember what it was? If God was going to speak and God's going to give that first commandment, what is the one? What is the one? So Exodus chapter 20, it says in verse number 1, it says, God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Here's your first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's devotion. That, so here's what, here's what got God. This is what cost people their life. On the day that the Ten Commandments were issued out, people died. Did you know that? On the day that the Ten Commandments were issued out, many people of Israel died. Why? Because they wanted God and the golden calf. They wanted God and the golden calf. They were the people of God. They just got rescued by God. They just got delivered out of Pharaoh. How many of you have gotten delivered out of Pharaoh's hand? I thank God. I mean, Pharaoh had me by the throat. I didn't even know how bound I was till I met Jesus. I mean, Pharaoh had me by the throat. And you know what? God, supernaturally and gracefully, the power of God set me free. But you know, from that point forward, God demands devotion. God is not playing in this area. And He told them as soon as He brought them out of Egypt, He said, you shall have no other gods before Me. That is a demand of devotion. It is not an if and or. It's not a multiple choice. It's not if you want to. And our flesh can't stand when somebody says you can't. Because your flesh will say, yes, I can. When you begin to say God demands devotion, our flesh says, well, you can't demand nothing out of me. I'll do what I want when I cotton pick and want to. That's what our flesh says. But the Spirit of God says, yes, Lord. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of God compels us to be devoted to our God. I want you to see something here. God's first command was to tell His people, you shall have no other gods. Now, you may not be bowing down, worshiping Baal, or, or at the Asheroth pole, or something like that. But you know what? A lot of times we put things before God. That's what I want you to see. He said, you shall have no other gods before Me. And every time that Israel got itself in trouble, it's when they begin to put something ahead of God. We're no different. That's when we begin to fall away. That's when we begin to grow cold-hearted. That's when we begin to get indifferent. That's when we begin to get lukewarm. That's when we begin to backslide. That's when we begin to depart from the faith. That's when we begin to lose our first love. 
When we are no longer devoted to the one who sought us, who bought us, and rescued us out of Pharaoh's grip. And he said in the very first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Well, what happened? Well, they put other gods before him. While Moses was getting the Ten Commandments, they began to worship the golden calf. And they died that day. And you know what? There's things in you that will begin to die, that will begin to die when you begin to worship things above God. Those are the things that we're talking about here. And if you'll remain teachable, God will teach you. But you know, it's really easy because the devil is slick. He's been at it for a while. He knows how to lay that, that, that carrot on a stick in order to get the child of God off course. You'll begin to go out and have the right intentions, but if you don't remain, listen, you can have the best of intentions, but if you don't remain devoted to God, you can be led astray. You have to understand that. It is not about how good-intentioned you are. It is about how devoted you are. You have to understand this. They had good intentions. They were just celebrating that they're no longer in Egypt. And they departed from God. And they departed from God on the first day. Now, listen, easily the enemy can lead us astray when we begin to go after people, when we begin to seek relationships and we begin to seek jobs and we begin to seek social standing or politicians or whatever. We can easily, easily lose our first love. We can easily begin to switch it over and begin to, to follow politics harder than God. We, we can begin to follow our job harder than God. Do you hear me? We, we can begin to pursue almighty dollar more than almighty God. We can begin to pursue that cute boy or that pretty girl more than the one who's supposed to be our heart's desire. We, we, can, begin to, we can begin to go off course even with good intentions. If we're not devoted to God, we'll begin to do that really quick. Even the church has done this. It's not just the church. We can pick on today's church. I mean, it's, it's easy pickings at this point. It, 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 you really have to be blind to not see how idiotic the church looks in a lot of ways today. We have made a merchandise of God's house. But it's not new. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Jesus dealt with this when He was here. He turned over the money changers' tables. And in the book of Luke, he said, you have made my house a house of merchandise. You know, I was, I was listening to one of my friends, and he said, oh, we got some new merch dropping in the church today. We got some new merch. That's their saying for shirts and hats and stuff that you can buy. We got some new merch dropping in the church today. And immediately that verse came to me. You have made my house a house of merchandise. And I thought, how ironic that we use the exact same word that Jesus uses to describe the exact same thing that Jesus described, and yet we do it in the church's house today, and we don't think anything about it because that's how far we've fallen. Well, we can't have Sunday night service anymore. Why? Oh, you know, it's... 2021, people don't come out for that stuff anymore. We're too busy these days. 
We've got too much stuff going on. But you put a donkey out there and you get a, get, get a, a, a merry-go-round, you have a fair or a carnival, you can have that on Sunday night. You just can't preach the Bible. You just can't open the house of God, open the Bible, sing songs and glorify God. You cannot do that, but you can have a merry-go-round. You can have a donkey ride. You can paint faces. You can do everything else. You can sell anything you want to sell, but you cannot preach the Bible on Sunday night in America anymore because we're too sophisticated for that. Well, Here's what I want you to see is this devotion can easily get off course. We can, begin to, we can begin to follow the things of men. We can begin to follow the things of the flesh. But God's desire is that we put no gods before Him. I want to show you, I want to show you something very beautiful in Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. You know, some, sometimes... Sometimes areas in our life need to get shut down. How many of you know that? Sometimes areas in our life need to get shut down. When I said that in devotion, one thing, in order for you to be devoted, you've got to be departed from everything else. I hope that you get that concept. In order for you to love your spouse, you have to not love other folks. And, and, and you, there's a lot of issues with that, right? For example, it doesn't matter how pretty your wedding ring is. If you go have lunch with your wife and you bring your other girl with you, no matter how pretty your wedding ring is, right? Well, I'm here. I'm devoted to you. I'm having lunch with you. What else you want me to do? Uh, not have other people in your life? Come on. I am here, I am having lunch with you, what else do you want me to do? I believe she would say, I would like for you to not have other women with you. Right? Any woman would say that. Well, what do you think God says? Well, I'm here, I came to church, what else do you want me to do? Uh, not have other gods with you? Not have other gods before you? I would like to be your one and only. I would like to be the supreme desire of your heart. That's what I would like. And any person that has a relationship with anyone else knows the same thing. You don't want, you don't want, no, I mean, your, your husband could give you the biggest, fattest diamond on the, in the world. But if he was always bringing other women with you to lunch, that wouldn't matter, would it? And, and I think about that and I think how ironic that this is exactly what the church does today. I mean, we'll come, we'll bring a big offering, we'll bring a big this, and we'll bring a big this to God, but yet we'll also have other things that we've held back from God. God's before Him. Well, you know, I was thinking about this passage here in Acts chapter 19. This was one of my favorite passages because these people just got radically saved, and they were willing, listen, they were willing to let go of what they knew the most. They were willing to let go of what they knew the most. It could be anything. I, I'm using the relationship between a husband and a wife because it's the most easy to see. But you could have this relationship with anything. I, I had this relationship with alcohol, right? Because whenever I got saved, I wasn't married. But I was married to a bottle. And I had to get divorced from the bottle in order for me to go far with God. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? And, and, I, and today, I still don't go in liquor stores. I don't even go look. Why? Because I'm not married to that thing no more. I'm not going to entertain that anymore. I'm devoted to God now. Amen? And it's, it's the same way there's, there's, you could go through a litany of things in the same manner where we're called to depart from this and be devoted to Him. Be departed from that and be devoted to Him. Depart from this and be devoted to Jesus. And that's what God's looking for in us. I want you to see this in, in, in Acts chapter 19. Did you turn over there? Verse 18. We'll just pick up a little highlight of this in 18 and 19. It says, well, let's read 17. It's good. It says, and this was known to all the Jews and Greeks, also dwelling at Ephesus. And fear fell on them all. In the name of the Lord, Jesus, was magnified. Verse 18, and many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. That's where most people stop today. But look what happened next. Many of them also which used curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all men and they counted the price of them and they found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. I want you to see something. They didn't stop and give God lip service, but they put action to where their mouth was. They had gotten saved and delivered, and yet they had things in their life that that were above God or equal to God. They took these things that were not of God and they brought them on their own accord. Nobody demanded that they do it, but they did it because they loved God and were thankful that they had been set free and they brought all the things that they knew God hated and they laid them down and they burned them right there. How many of you know you can't unburn it? If you burn those books, you can't unburn the books. They didn't have copies on CD-ROM. That's old school, by the way. But they didn't have them on floppy disk or whatever they have. But they had them all right there and they burned them. And what that shows us is they were willing to walk after God from that point forward. They were not going to go backwards. They were not going to go back to where they came from. They were not going to have other gods before Him. They had come to that moment and they were departing from their past. They were departing from the things that were not God. They had decided to be devoted to God and they were giving God their whole heart. And in that moment that they burned those books, they forever burned the bridge to their past. Some of us need to do the same thing. Some of us need to burn a bridge to our past. You know what? The past has no no power over you. The past has no power over you in Christ. If you're not in Christ, it does. But if you're in Christ, it does not have power over you. Now, this is awesome. I love this part, but I, I just... You, you can look at the 50,000 pieces of silver. It just shows you how costly these books were. But the part that I love is that they were so willing. They were so willing to depart from things that they knew God didn't like. 
And, and if you're going to be teachable, and if God is going to be your teacher, the Holy Ghost is our teacher, and if He's going to teach us, there will have to be points in my life that the Holy Spirit puts His finger on, and He says, that thing right there needs to be let go of. It could, it could be... It could be a Sports Illustrated magazine subscription. It could be HBO on your TV. It could be pride in your heart. It could be any litany of things. But if I'm going to be teachable, I have to know and understand part of the Holy Spirit's job is to help me stay devoted to the one that bought me. That first things remain first. And last things remain last. And that God is preeminent in my life. And if He's the true teacher, and He is, He will forever always be refining me. He will forever always be molding me into that man or woman of God that He's called me to be. He will be renewing my mind, taking me back to that cross, reminding me that I had let everything go so that I could be what God wanted me to be. And I surrender all means I surrender all from this point forward, from now and forever. God didn't promise me a box of candy or cards or anything else when I said I surrender all there was no other conditions except I surrender all and when we surrender all God says yes I got one and I surrender all means from that point forward I am surrendering all things to thee and there will be times in my life that God will put his finger on something and he'll say you need to let that go I'm reminded of Smith Wigglesworth and in, in, in a story that Lester Summerall said of him. And, and I've shared this in the past, but they said that Lester Summerall flew over there to England to meet with him. And how I many of you know Smith Wigglesworth got saved to fill the Spirit in his 50s? And God used him mightily all over the world. And, 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 and Smith Wigglesworth, you know, got a knock on the door. He opened it up, and Lester Summerall standing there. And Brother Summerall, he said, uh, he said, I, I, I would like to come in and, and talk about the Lord with you and learn from you. And, and he said, under his arm, he had picked up the newspaper there in London. And, and Brother Wo, uh, Smith Woosworth, he said, you can come in, but that cannot. You can come in, but that cannot. What's wrong with the newspaper? Come on. What's wrong with the newspaper? He said... You can, but that cannot. Why? God had convicted him about that. He didn't allow that kind of stuff in his home. His home was a sanctuary unto God. It was not about, oh, the sky's falling. Oh, the stock market's this, and we're not going to be able to buy milk, bread, and eggs tomorrow. You know what? You can take all that, leave it at the door. Because in this house, we magnify the Lord we don't magnify problems. We don't magnify politicians. We don't magnify other people. We magnify God. And, and Brother Summerall said that left a lasting impact on him. It would, but it, but what, I'm what I'm trying to tell you is that was something that God had put his finger on in Smith Wigglesworth's life. And he was willing to say yes to God on it. May, other people may think I'm a fuddy-duddy. They may think I'm boring. They may think I'm not hip. I'm not into the current times. But I need, to re, I need this consecration and anointing of God to remain on my life. What saved me was that anointing from God, that touch from God that opened my blind eyes, that entered into this dark heart and turned the light on. That anointing is what cut off the past from my life and I will do anything I need to do to keep this anointing on me. 
Whatever it takes to keep that anointing on my life, I will do. Tell me to cut it off. Tell me to say goodbye. Tell me to do whatever. I need that anointing. It is that anointing that made all the difference in your life. If you're saved, if God reached through the corridor of time in eternity and he saved you and he turned the light on in you, that's the anointing of God. It was the anointing of God that pierced your heart and called you to look upon Christ who died on the cross for you and rose from the dead. It was God, the Holy Ghost, that anointed that message and instructed your heart. And it is that anointing that remains. It is that same anointing that we need today to be God's people today. Now let me close with you in Romans chapter 8 verse 1. I want to show you this before we close because I want to show you how Paul uses this same message. In, in, in Romans chapter 8 verse 1. Don't you love the faith of these people at this church in Acts 19? Don't you love that? One of the things is I'm thinking of this message and, 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 and how the Holy Spirit is our teacher. You know, sometimes if we're left to our own, we'll go to the left or we'll go to the right. <clears throat> Even David messed up. Even David missed it. But what David did is he admitted it. And he got back to where that anointing was. If he had to crawl on his hands and knees, he would. If, 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 if he had to fast, he would. Whatever it took to get that anointing from God back. And, and I don't know about you, but I thank God for that anointing that, that, that took sin and, 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 and just made it just let me go. Set me free. Open my eyes. Save my soul. Give me the Holy Spirit. It is that anointing that, that we desperately need. And if, if you're going to remain teachable, you're going to have to allow the Holy Spirit to instruct you. Instruct you. Nobody likes to be told they're wrong. Nobody likes to be told that they've gone the wrong way. Especially guys when they're driving on vacation. Nobody likes to be told that they're going the wrong direction. But if we're going to remain humble and we're going to be God's people, we have to remain teachable. Okay? So look what happens here. And, and, and the reason I want to show you this is because I want you to see a couple of things. You, you could dig down on this. I'm not going to dig down on it too much. But, but I just want you to see a couple of things in this. In, in verse 1, Romans 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. I want to stop right there for just a second. Just break this down real simply. Number one, condemnation is the tool that the devil uses to keep you back from God. Condemnation is the voice of the enemy telling you that you don't deserve God, that you've blown it, that you've missed it, that God don't want you, that you're trash, and that you can't go to God. God don't want to hear it no more. Condemnation is the voice that drives you away from God. Conviction is the voice of the Holy Ghost that compels you to go to the cross. 
Condemnation pushes you down. Conviction draws you in. Condemnation tells you you can't. Conviction tells you come in to the one who can. Condemnation. There's no condemnation then. Why? Because when you're in Christ, when you're in Christ, you're safe. When you're in Christ, the accusations fall on deaf ears. You know what? You, you, you want to accuse me of my past? You go right ahead. You're going to be talking to the Lord's nail-stained hand. You're going to be talking to the one who bore those things, who took those things away. As far as the east is from the west, he said that he'll remember them no more. If the devil wants to remember them, let him. But God said there's no condemnation for me if I'm in Jesus. He has forever separated me from what I once was and forever brought me into what I now am. He has separated me from the past and given me a new future. There's no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. You know what? The devil will love to bring up what you did last year. Let him talk. That's what he does. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's the whisperer. Jesus said he's been a liar from the beginning. He's a talker and he can talk, talk, talk. But God, in the, in the grace and mercy of the Lord God, he says the blood stands against it. The blood of Jesus stands against the accusations of the devil. Now and forevermore. There is no condemnation to those which are in Christ Jesus. Now, that's the exciting part. Here's the part I want you to get today, though. Look at the very next word. There's no condemnation of those that are in Christ Jesus. And what? Who walk not after the flesh. Let me say it like this. Who have no other gods before Him. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who have no other gods before Him. Who have laid aside everything that God said lay aside. Who is willing to walk away from what God said walk away from it. Who's willing to let go what God says to let go of. Who's willing to stop doing what God says stop doing. Well, God don't ask nobody else to stop doing this. Well, He's asking you. That's enough. He don't need to be asking anybody else. He needs to be asking you. He wants to see if you're willing to go back out like Peter was. Jesus didn't walk to anybody else except Peter, and He said, go back out there and fish again. Let's go back out there and fish again. He didn't walk around to nobody else except Peter, and He said that to him. And if Peter was living in our day, he'd say, why don't you ask somebody else? I don't see you asking nobody else to do this. You're not asking anybody else to act like a fool. I've been fishing all night. You don't see you making a fool out of anybody else. Why are you picking on me? But if you're going to be his and he's going to be yours, you're going to have to walk that walk. And sometimes the Lord will call you to do things that don't make sense naturally. God, He don't make sense naturally because He's supernatural. If you keep things natural-minded, you'll always need, oh, that don't make sense. Oh, that don't make sense. Oh, that don't make sense. Well, hello? God don't make sense. He's spirit. He's supernatural. He is miraculous. He's an anointing. 
He's the one that turns the light on. You may not be able to see it when you're walking in darkness, but once you begin to follow Jesus, and he said, he is the light of the world, no man can follow me and remain in darkness. When you begin to go after Jesus, the light will come on, and you'll begin to understand why he asked you to do what he asked you to do. Now I see. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was blind, but now I see. Well, you didn't see until you started following Jesus. And the same thing holds true today. If you stay devoted to him, if you stay devoted to him, he'll call you to walk back out on the ocean again. So he says that that not only is there no condemnation if you're in Jesus, Not only will you have no other gods before him, but it says that you'll walk after the Spirit. I want you to catch that. It's not in-depth, it's just this last part. A, there's no condemnation. The devil can't touch you. He can talk, 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 but that nail-scarred hand says no to every accusation. And and you shall have no other gods before him. Amen. Whatever he says, wherever you say to go, Lord, I'll follow. But look what happens. It says, but after the Spirit. So it is not only that I'm not going with other things. Let me, let me pull it back into this relationship with the husband and wife. It's not only that you're not going after other people, but that you are going after the one whom you're married to. That you're pursuing the one. It is, so with the, when it comes to the things of God, it is not only that I have no other gods before me, but it is that I ever have God above me. That I ever have God on my heart. That I ever wake up and set my heart back on Him. That I always walk after Him. Today, are you teachable today? Can the Lord teach you? One of the things that I said in this message is that devotion requires a decision. If you're going to be devoted to your spouse, you have to decide to depart from others. It's the same way with God. If we're going to be devoted to God, if we're going to be His, if we're going to be devoted to God, we have to be willing to depart from all others. All others. Being teachable. So important, so imperative. I'm, I'm reminded in closing of a, a saying that C.T. Studd had. He's one of my heroes in the faith. You can't, like, not read him and not get excited. But he said, he said, never backwards, ever forwards. It's simple, but it's about always going forward with Jesus. Not ever going backwards, not coming off, not remaining the same, but always moving forward. And I find there's always things that I need to cry out to God about. There's always things that I need to, I need to give over to God. There's always that I need to have my mind renewed. I need to have my heart dealt with. I need issues to come and be laid down at those altars. Never going backwards, always going forwards. Amen? Amen. Father, we bless you this morning, and we thank you, Lord, for the anointing. God, that separates us.